It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's found in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35. Some of the last words recorded in the scripture that Jesus actually said himself. We hear something like that, and some of us that maybe have experienced that would say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I totally agree with that. I know exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And yet there are some that still don't understand quite what that means. What do you mean? I mean, I like to receive a little bit in my life, right? What do you mean it is more blessed? Like you could be blessed one way and more blessed in another way? We have been uh, in this series since last week called Money Matters, and uh, this series is built strategically on how we manage money and how we honor God and use biblical principles to manage the money in our lives. Now, last week we started talking about earning, right? It's the first part of Money Matters because in your Money Matters in your life, you have to what? You have to earn. You have to have some money. Okay, last week we learned it's not just given to you. It's not just donated to you. We, we learned last week that you earn money or you work for your money. We work and we produce an income. This week we're talking about giving. Now you may say, well, if you're doing this several weeks on the series and don't you like end up with giving? No, 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 no. This is strategically built on what we do with the money and how we manage our money God's way. Because God says first we earn the money and then the second thing you do when you actually receive the money is you give. Next, we're going to talk about saving money, because that's the next thing you would do with your money, is you would save some back for the future. The week after that, we're going to talk about spending our money, because then that's the part that a lot of us are really good at, right? I mean, man, we don't need a sermon on spending. I already got that part down. But we, we're, going to, we're going to talk about spending, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about debt. I know some of you are like, ooh, debt, you know, and it's, it's like, that should be at the beginning, because I borrow before I save or spend or do the rest of that. But we're doing this, like I said, strategically in an order of how Scripture says we are to manage our financial households. And so hopefully you'll be blessed by this. And I know that as, as a church um, and, and as Christians, we want to obviously acknowledge God's ways. We know that if we obey His ways, our lives are better. And so we're going to be looking at this for the next several weeks. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to uh, turn to 2 Corinthians, book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'd like for you to follow along and engage the, the scripture this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible or you want to follow along, uh, you can follow along on your phone, your tablet, your iPad. Just download the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid in the App Store. And you can download the Oakwood app and all of the uh, scriptures, all the bullet points are in there for you. Just go to Sermon Notes. It's right there on the front page of the app. Um, but we want you to engage the word of God this morning. Here's, here's the truth. Generosity is something that God wants for you, not from you. When we talk about giving and being generous, generosity is something that God wants for you and not from you. And throughout this message, I, I think you're going to get the heart of this and understand what this really means. I want to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7 this morning. It says this, and this is, this is the apostle Paul talking to the church and to the, to the Christians in Corinth, and he says this, but since you excel, Christians, in everything, and then he gives them a list, you excel in faith, 
in speech, in knowledge of God, in knowledge of the word, in complete earnestness for the gospel, and in love that we have kindled in you. In all these areas, he's acknowledging that you've got, you guys have got good faith in God, a good deep faith in God. And in your speech has been, has been cleaned up by the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, the way you talk to one another, uh, in this knowledge of, of the word, in, in this complete earnestness toward the gospel, in this love that you have, that we've kindled in you. All of these areas, you excel in everything. And then he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving that we are called to excel in this grace of giving. One thing about generosity in the world is the world notices a generous act. I mean, if you took Christianity out of it and you would just say, hey, hey, all, you know, all the atheists in the world, do they recognize and do they see generosity? I would say yes. In fact, there are Christians that aren't generous, and there are non-Christians that are generous. And sometimes they do it for all the wrong motivations or maybe for all the wrong reasons. Maybe it's for some kind of recognition or maybe it's just for what they can get out of it. But some people give to less than worthwhile causes and like it. In fact, sometimes they like it a lot. In fact, sometimes the world may stand up and applaud and, and cheer on those that just show generosity. Sometimes it can be towards something, towards something that's invaluable. Sometimes it can be towards something that you just feel like, why are they giving all this money to this? It just seems like absurd. But yet, people have this way of experiencing something inside their heart and inside their mind when they give. Our main passage this morning is found just a chapter over uh, from the verse I just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're actually going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Again, it's the Apostle Paul writing to these Christians in Corinth, and this is what he says, beginning with verse 6. He says, remember this. It's principle he's going to give them. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We'll pause there for a minute. So many times we read scriptures like this today, and we're not, you know, a lot of us are not super agricultural, and so we're like, okay, what does this mean exactly? But to, to Paul's assertion to his audience back then, this meant a lot. He's saying those that, that sow, and so he's giving this farming and this planting analogy that, that if you take 15 or 20 seeds in your hand, and you put those in the ground, and you do everything you need to do to get some growth out of them, you're probably going to have what? 15 to 20 plants, right? If you sow sparingly, you'll reap when those things grow and they produce their crop or their fruit, you'll, you'll reap sparingly. But if you took 500 of those seeds in your hand, you planted it row by row all over in this section, and you watered it, and you watched it grow, those who sow generously would also what? Reap generously. So instead of having 15 or 20 plants, now I have 500 plants, and I would get the production or the fruit out of all of those. And so taking that agricultural concept and using it as a principle and illustration here, he says, hey, remember this. When it comes to generosity, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then he goes to verse 7. He says, each of you 
should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because you ought to. For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone who is cheerful. So just in those first two verses, we see two prerequisites for being generous and forgiving there. We see that it's going to be generosity, and it's also going to be cheerful generosity. Verse 8. And God is able to bless you how? How is he going to bless you? It says abundantly, so that in what things? What does it say there? It says in all things, when? At all times, having what? Having all that you need. Did you catch that? All things, all times, having all that you need, you will do what? You will abound. You will just, do, it'll just come out of you. You will abound in every good work. And then he gives an Old Testament um, reference here in verse 9. He says, as, is, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now, he who supplies. Who is he who supplies? Who's the one that gives us the ability to make money, gives us our talents, gives us our brains, our minds, gives us our, our backs and our muscles and our brawn to be able to produce. He who supplies, who's the one that gives us everything that we have? It's God. So he who supplies the seed to the sower, that you're able to even have that seed comes from the Lord. Bread for food, the food on your table comes from the Lord. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in what ways, does it say there? It says in every way you're going to be enriched. So that you can be generous when? On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, people are going to notice Christians being generous and giving to one another and giving and helping the poor and the needy. They're going to see that and it's going to make them go, wow, I'm really thankful to God. I'm thankful that God sowed generosity into the hearts of these people. So understanding this as the the main text for, for us this morning, I want to share four lessons from the Bible about giving and generosity this morning. And the first one is this. Small acts of generosity offer encouragement. Spontaneous generosity brings joy. The small acts of generosity offer encouragement to people that need it. And spontaneous generosity brings joy. What did it say there in verse 7? It says that God loves a cheerful giver and whatever you've decided in your heart to give give cheerfully i think that sometimes we think that when we want to offer encouragement to someone it's got to be this big deal you know we we got to get all of this money together to encourage them it can't just be a small gift of encouragement in the moment it's got to be this large gift and for some of us that means we'd have to save for it right we'd have to plan over a period of time for it and sometimes we just don't answer the call to be generous in the moment I think we've all experienced this at some point in our lives. You ever been at the grocery store and you have that person or that family or that, that couple, those people in front of you? Maybe perhaps it's a single mom or dad and they've got a couple of kids and they're just trying to make ends meet and they're watching every item as it goes down the conveyor belt to the checker and as the checker just keeps scanning, they are glued to that screen to know, okay, there's a 56, all right, 63, all right, 65, 67, now it's 70, 72. So, uh, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Can we, uh, we'll just put that back or let's just hold off on that for now. And they're watching every cent. 
Have you seen this? And, and, and you know that, that something is, is off here because, you know, they don't have enough money to get what they need, and, and they're just really tight, and they're trying to be really careful and really responsible in that moment. And there's those times where we as Christians see something like that happen right there in front of us. And have you ever answered the call and covered the bill? Because you knew you had 20 bucks in your pocket, and you knew, man, I'm still going to pay my rent, buy my food here. I'm still going to get everything I need, even if I depart with this 20, with this 50, whatever it is. I know. And so in that moment, we have this opportunity to show generosity to someone, to offer them a little of encouragement. Maybe, maybe it's a young, young couple that just, just starting out in life and they're just trying to make ends meet. Maybe, maybe there's something that's happened in their life. They've, they've lost a job, they lost a car, they lost a loved one. And have you ever been on the receiving end of a, of a spontaneous small gift like that? It's encouraging. I've, I've had the opportunity that some people have done that in my life. They, they just in a moment, they, you know, they'll, they'll pick up this ticket or, or pay this bill or, hey, we're just going to take care of this for you. What a blessing. What, a, what encouragement that is in the moment. I think as Christians, God wants us to be aware of all of those opportunities before us and to make a decision in our heart right then and there, are we going to be open-handed? Are we going to be generous to someone who is showing a need right there before us? Are, are we and could we be representatives of Christ and be the actual physical hands and feet of Jesus to offer to take care of a circumstance and be involved in a situation like that? I think so many times we miss it. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says this, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see, there's something that happens with us that when we are in those moments and we give those small encouraging gifts and we answer that call to generosity, there's something that feels good inside of us. And if you've done that and you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You walk away from those circumstances and those situations like, wow, God used me. There's something that happens in our heart and in our mind that God's blessing, his spiritual blessing just comes upon us. And sometimes we reflect Christ best in those situations, in those opportunities before us. I don't know who your grandparents were, but I, I had a wonderful uh, Grandma Keller. Uh, Grandma Keller was uh, one of the most generous people I know. She was widowed rather early in life. Her husband had died in 1980, and we always knew that Grandma was on a fixed income. We always knew that Grandma had worked as best she could and had maybe saved a little, but Grandma wasn't made of money. But you wouldn't know it. You see, when you went to see Grandma, and for many years she lived in, she lived in Iowa, and we would uh, go, go, go to see her and make the drive from Oklahoma to Iowa, she had this habit that when you were about to leave and we were doing the hugs and we'll see you again and, and all of that at the end, she had folded dollar bills, folded 20s, and she'd just start sticking it in your pocket, you know? Have you ever had that happen where somebody just has like, you know, they just stick it in your pocket, you know, like, here, take this, or, you know, here, take this, they just stick it in there and... I remember that as a small child, she would do that for my parents, and it was just to help with gas money, thanks for coming to see me, you know, here's some, here's some money to buy food on the way home. I remember as uh, the grandchildren would get together, we always would talk, it's like, does grandma have a $20 tree in the backyard that just has 20s? She always has 20s. She's always handing them out to everyone. 
And then I remembered uh, one time when I was a teenager, le- uh, late, late teens, 16, 17, um, 17, maybe 18 years old, that my, my family had gone to Iowa for something, and I wasn't able to make it because of work and schedule, and so I decided to drive myself up there. Now, I'd never been on the receiving end of these gifts. It was usually for the parents, but that time when I made the trip and drove myself, I remember as I'm telling Grandma goodbye and I'm heading back, back to Oklahoma by myself, she starts the 20 thing with me. <laughs> And she's got a folded up 20 and like, you know, trying to stick it in my pocket. Here, take it. So my grandma, I know your situation. I know you are a widow. I know that you don't have this great amount of income. And so you need your 20s. And I'm old enough now to understand there's no 20 tree in the backyard. So no, you need to keep, no, 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 I'll I'll mail it to you if you don't take it. I'm not, you know. (laughs) Okay, grandma. Now back then, $20 filled up my tank with gas to get back to Oklahoma and bought me McDonald's on the way back. <laughs> Extra value meals back there, back then, $2.99. And you got a Coke with it. So that, that was the drink, the fries, the sandwich. I mean, it was crazy, right, to think of that. How did a extra value meal is $10. But I just remember being so blessed by that and seeing that modeled for us, this generosity. And it would have been something else if she'd done it, like, eh, here, you know, I feel like I need to do this. Thanks for coming to see me. Here's $20 to help you with your gas. No, it was always done with a smile. It was always done in joy. It was always done cheerfully, not reluctantly, not with hesitancy. And it was a great, it was a great model for me and a person in my life that just seemed to always reflect cheerful generosity. And sometimes I think it's important for us to remember that maybe God is a little more concerned with the attitude of the giver more than the amount of the gift. But small acts of generosity can offer encouragement to people, folks. Spontaneous generosity brings joy to the receiver and the giver. Don't miss those opportunities in life. The second thing this morning is that anonymous giving can remove pride. Anonymous giving removes pride. Some people give and they make a big deal about it. They want everyone to know. I mean, if they give something to somebody or to something, or maybe they give a large gift to a foundation or a large gift to God's church, they're going to put it on Facebook and they're going to let everyone know. And there's almost like this little bit of pride that goes with it, this puffiness, this look at me. Sometimes the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the scripture seem to struggle with that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says these words, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Your full reward will be your recognition right then. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored and recognized by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to those in need, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I want you to walk away from, from these verses this morning with some legalistic mindset that all of my giving has to be 100% anonymous. That's not really what Jesus is saying here. What Christ is saying here and what he wants us to get out of it is that we need to test our motives when we are giving. 
Why are we giving? Why, why, why do we have this reaction or this feeling attached to it when we give? Because if we go back to verse, verses 6 and 7, it says that, that, we, that we want to be generously sowing and generously reaping. And he says they're not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because we ought to, but because we get to, because God loves a cheerful giver. We one time had an elder here in the church that uh, was talking about the offering time. It was back when we would pass the offering plates. He said, I would love it if we would be cheerful givers. Because sometimes I, I, I write that check and I stick in the envelope and that plate's coming. I put in the plate and I just want to stamp and go, woohoo! He's like, can you imagine as the plates are passed, everybody's cheering during the offering? I mean, that's the most exciting moment in the church is people giving their offering and they're just like, wow, this is awesome. I get to participate with the Lord in this manner and he's provided everything for me. I'm giving back just a small portion of him and I'm just so joyful about it. I'm excited. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be the way that we approach it sometimes. Sometimes it seems like we have a spirit, some kind of spirit in our heart or in our life that says, hey, I'm doing this for some kind of recognition. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this out of hesitation, reluctance. I'm doing this out of compulsion because I saw everybody else giving the plate. I know I probably should too. But God says, hey, I want you to test your motives here. I want you to do this with a joyful and sincere heart. And I don't want you to do it because of some kind of, of recognition. Anonymous giving can remove pride. Third thing this morning, planned generosity reflects your priorities. Planned generosity reflects your priorities. So just a minute ago, we were talking about those, those times where it's spontaneous generosity, which is awesome and so much fun. When you see that need and you meet it, or, or you just decide to bless someone, you decide, hey, I'm going to pick up their, their restaurant tab, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. But then planned generosity reflects your priorities. And there's some planning that it takes to be obedient to God in his scripture in the area of giving to the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, it says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And the Lord answers, in tithes and in offerings. You are now under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring that whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this. The only time it says test me in the Bible is right here. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And then in verse 11 he says this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. A lot of times when we're sharing this passage, we stop at verse 10. But I love what it says in verse 11 there about preventing pests, devouring crops, and vines won't drop their fruit, won't drop their produce too early. Let me bring that into 2023 for you. There may be times where God is blessing you and you are faithful to him with the tithe that you don't see and you can't even fathom. He's preventing pests from infecting your yard so you don't have to pay the yardmen to to actually get rid of those. But sometimes I think he's sustaining your dishwasher. Your dishwasher is only developed to last seven years now, folks. So when you have your 18-year-old dishwasher in your kitchen, maybe God's blessing you there. 
Maybe some of you have an automobile that doesn't need repairs. And maybe you're thinking, gosh, you know what? As a matter of fact, preachers talk about that. It's been a long time since I've had a major mechanical issue with our vehicles. Maybe God's sustaining that, keeping the pests out of the vehicles. Maybe it's your washer and dryer. Maybe it's the roof on your house isn't leaking. Could be leaking, but it's not. Because God is watching over you and God is providing. And as you are faithful to him, he says, watch this. See, some people, they, they tithe and they give because they expect God to bring them a windfall. They expect God to just be throwing money their way and they're going to come into this money. Maybe it's, maybe it's a bonus at work or maybe it's a, an inheritance that's coming in the future. Yeah, people just expect that, okay, because of this, this is how God. But God is working in the background and in so many ways, I think, that we can't even fathom. We, we can't even think about how God has provided for us. And yet some of us, we are not cheerful givers. We're hesitant givers when it comes to the tithe. If you've never heard the word tithe this morning, I know it's kind of a churchy word. You might only hear that in the church. A tithe was just a word that meant 10%. It meant 10% of your income. And so what God was saying here in Malachi 3 is that, hey, I want 10% of your income. And this is a matter of faith for people. This is a matter that, that sometimes is uncomfortable for people. I mean, what does it mean to truly tithe? It means that you would give the first 10% of your income directly to the Lord. You'd put it in service for the Lord and into the Lord's work. I had a preacher friend one time tell me, never be afraid to ask God's people for God's money. Because we have to remember where it came from. The Bible says that everything we have comes from the Lord. And your ability to produce and earn that we talked about last week, your talents, your brain, Maybe it's your back and your muscles, your physical ability. But whatever enables you to produce is actually those talents and those gifts are from the Lord. And the Lord says, as an act of worship and as an act of trust, and saying that I am first, best, highest, most in your life, when you get your income, I want that first 10%. And that 90% will go farther than you can ever imagine. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. What it's saying there is if God wants to be first, God wants the first fruits of everything. And there it's again a farming connotation that he wants the first fruit of all your crops, the tithe, the first 10%. I know some people, they look at their income and they're really good at the spending part, but maybe not good at other parts. And they look at scripture like this and they say, well, there's, I, what you don't understand is I can't, I can't afford to give. But it's amazing how God will stretch that 90% to go further than you ever thought it was possible when you give him the first fruits and when you give to him first. When you actually break it down statistically, if you are on just welfare in the United States of America, and you have no other income except welfare, it makes you richer than 92% of all the people on the face of the earth. So even from that perspective, can we not afford to give is actually just a matter of priority. We need to give to God what is rightfully his. I always try to remind myself sometimes when I've struggled with this in the past is that God could require 100%, but he doesn't. He could have said 50%. I want 50% of, of your income, 
But he doesn't. He says, no, 10%. But I want you to always remember that a blessed 90% will go way farther than an unblessed 100%. And people that have been doing that for years in God's church could tell you stories and give you testimonies of God's faithfulness when they tithed. I was talking to somebody this week that was volunteering up here at the church, and he shared a little story with me. He said it was amazing that uh, for years in my marriage that, that I gave a little to the, to the Lord, but I wasn't tithing. He said, and then all of a sudden, after all these years, and he goes, my, I was looking back at it, I was charting it, and he said, my income just stayed about here. He goes, and then all of a sudden, I just got convicted about it. He goes, I don't remember if it was a sermon or, or something I read in scripture, but I just was like, man, we just, I just need to take a step of faith and start tithing. And just give to the Lord. And he goes, it's amazing. When I started tithing, he goes, my income was up and to the right for the rest of my life. God says he'll provide all that you need. Reminded me of the story of the family at the restaurant. They were uh, eating, eating dinner together and uh, came time for the bill to come to the table. And, and the dad took the, took the receipt from the waitress and was filling, figuring out the bill. And he started doing some figuring. And the little boy said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, I've got to figure out the tip. I've got to figure out how much we've got to leave. And, well, Dad, how much is the tip? And he said, 15%. He said, we try to give 15% of, of this bill to the, to the lady. He's doing some figuring. He pays it. And the little boy's sitting there thinking. He makes a strange face. And Dad's like, well, what do you think about? What do you, what, what's, what's the matter? He said, I just think it's weird, Dad, that the waitress gets 15%, but God only gets 10%. And the way that he understood it, the little boy we're starting to grab this concept that sometimes we're maybe blessing other things in this world more than we're giving God what is rightfully his. And if we're honest and transparent this morning, we know that some of us, if we were to hand over the ledger, the checkbook, the computer program, the app in our phone, or whatever tracks our spending for the month, and we were to ask ourselves, if this ledger and this recording of my finances and my payments for the month if it offers a window into what is a priority in my life, what would it reflect? Would it reflect a hobby? Maybe there's a lot of payments to academy sports and outdoors, or maybe there's a lot of payments to this or to that because there's this hobby that I really, really like. And if you looked at my income, you'd see there's a lot of payments going out to that. Maybe it's pursuing your kids' sports dreams. And there's a lot of, you know, traveling and hotels and motels and fees for tournaments and equipment and private lessons. Maybe for some of you, it's your grandkids. It's not a bad thing. They need to be a priority in your life. But maybe, maybe if you looked at how you're spending your money, you find out, wow, man, those grandkids, they, they're fun. They, they do get expensive. Maybe for others, it's vacations or travel. But is there any way that you would look into that and say, you know what? There is this place in there that shows an eternal priority. There's this place in there that shows that God is first, and he's getting the first fruits in this area of my life. And I'm choosing to trust him. You know, I'll say I'll trust him with my salvation, and I'll, I'll trust him with the future of my life, and I'll pray to him about his will for my future and all those things, but I'm not going to trust him with my money. It just doesn't seem to make sense. So when you look at your finances for the month, is there anything there for God? Last thing this morning, sacrificial giving displays love and commitment. Sacrificial giving displays love and commitment. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 19 and 21, just a few verses down from what we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And catch this, what Jesus says here. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you may have heard this. It's called the treasure principle. To me, when you read that, though, I think it's I think maybe Jesus got it wrong. Maybe it's backwards. Because I would say, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because it seems like when you start investing in something, you become a lot more interested in it. If you had some money set aside and maybe you said, hey, I want to invest this money and I'm going to do the stock market. I'm going to invest it in this oil company. Isn't it amazing how when you invest that money in that oil company, you start watching the ticker, right? Is it up or down today? You start doing some study into the background of the company, reading articles on it, and then you start studying the industry. And you become a lot more interested. Why? Because you're invested in that. In some ways, sacrificial giving just displays our love and our commitment. What is it about for us? And that's why it's important to give, to trust God in this area of finance and to be obedient to him not in just some parts of scripture that we like or that are easy but to actually trust him in all areas of life and to obey all of scripture because what reflects your love and commitment is something that you sacrifice for somebody once told me Eric you should give till it hurts And then after that, give a little more until it feels good. I find that principle to be true sometimes. And I find this principle to be true too. Generosity is something that God wants for you, not from you. And I think sometimes, where does that come from? Think about it, folks. There's no one more generous in the history of the world than God himself. You will never outgive God. Because God, in his greatest act of giving, gave his son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. And sometimes, as Christians, we look most like Christ when we are generous and when we are giving. The good news this morning is that it's never too late to make a start. To grow and excel, as we read at the very beginning of the message, in this grace of giving. I heard a story from years ago here at Oakwood. They were doing a new member class here at Oakwood. And the the pastor, the minister at the time, was taking a bunch of uh, people that had just become Christians. I mean, they they had just been baptized. They had just given their life to the Lord. And they were talking to them about what the Bible says about this, what the Bible says about that. And over the course of several weeks, they got to giving and tithing. And they were teaching what is a tithe and what is an offering and what is the difference and what does Scripture say about that. And and the preacher had had told the class and the group that, hey, you know, you should tithe. You should give 10% of your income. And. And then he kind of backed off a little bit. He said, you know, and if you can't do that or you haven't been doing that right now, why don't you just start somewhere? Just just start with 2%. You know, 3, 4, or 5%. Maybe, you know, every six months you increase it a percent. And, you know, until eventually you get to 10%. And I remember this lady saying as she was looking and 
looking at the situation and, and thinking about things and being brand new to the faith and really going all in the, the deep end with, with God, she raised her hand and she said, but where's the faith in that? Shouldn't we just give 10% and trust God? I'm sure the preacher blushed because we try to make it easy on people sometimes. But the truth is there. God's given you everything you need. He's going to provide for you. There's hundreds of stories even in this sanctuary of God's provision in supernatural ways. All he says is, I want to be first. I want to be best in your life. And I've paid the price through Jesus Christ. Because I so loved all of the lost in this world, I gave my son. I sacrificially gave for you. Would you, as an act of faith and trust, give, give me paper and metal and give to me?